You are now listening to the Minority Trailblazer Podcast. Let the story begin. One time for the lovers, two times for the ladies, three times for the brothers, four times for the babies. Do you love her? 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 One time for the lovers, two times for the ladies, three times for the brothers, four times for the babies. Do you love her? 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 Brown skin, love a brown skin, love a brown. Brown skin, love a brown skin, love a brown. She my brown skin, love a brown skin, love a brown. She my brown skin, love a brown skin. Hold me down. Yeah. Welcome to the Minority Trailblazer Podcast. I'm your host, Greg ELD, Culture Change Agent. It's season three. We got like five more episodes left. And honestly, I'm not thinking I'm fresh right now. I don't know if I'm going to take a hiatus after season three ends. I might just roll right into season four and keep it chucking. I don't know what I'm feeling. But man, it's Thursday. Back to back to back weeks. We back on the grind. I'm hungry. I'm excited. I hope you had a wonderful weekend. I'm group. You are ready for a phenomenal, 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 phenomenal podcast. And this is going to be a little change of pace because I know... The week before last, we had Dominic Jones share his story, cinematographer out there in Hollywood. In seven years, went from dreaming about being in film to working with some of the biggest artists in the world, such as Beyonce, Kanye West, Travis Scott, all these guys shooting videos across the world and all this good stuff. Then last week, we had Stephen Alsop, Dr. Stephen Alsop, my bad, Harvard med student, MIT PhD, who was doing the thing thing in Boston. He shared his story, his expertise. So we have people that are in their space and that are kind of in their mid-career or early to mid-career. And this, we're going, we're going into a different lane. We're going to a young guy, man, uh, past SGA president of Hampton University. Some would call it the real HU, but for my Howard people, don't talk about the call just yet. <laughs> and uh, he's just sharing his story and what he does with his own YouTube channel, how to make science exciting, or as he would say, how to make science sexy. <laughs> and side note, all the science teachers be bad. Like, it's crazy. In high school, man, like, I ain't gonna... Just, I don't know. I remember Miss Webley. If, if anybody out there, they went to Riverside High School, you remember Miss Webley, but just so bad. Even though I don't understand because every day she eat this, like, the big, the big $6 burger from Hardee's with the big goat glass of soda. And I was like, how is she still maintaining all of that? Hold up, this ain't the type of podcast, but dang, Miss Webley. Shout out to Miss Webley. Shout out to all those beautiful science teachers that is, is, is showcasing their beauty and the knowledge of the anatomy to the youth. <laughs> you can tell us later. I'm off the chain. I'm off the chain. But today's podcast is going to be exciting. It's going to be very humorous. And it's going to get a, a chance for us to look at, and I think I've done this in a couple past episodes, but to look at the beginning of a brand, beginning of an idea. And how it's rolled out, how it's communicated, how consistent the artist needs to be, the anxiousness, the worries, but also the confidence of creating something new and unique in the space. But also that fear of, man, what if I put this thing out there and nobody views this thing? Nobody likes it. Nobody subscribes. What happens? Is that an indictment on my worth? Is that an indictment on my, my potential? Is that an indictment on my creativity? What is an indictment on? 
And I always try to segue in the podcast with a story. And I think I got one for y'all today. If you follow me, if you follow me via Snapchat, which is at Gregory E. Hill, make sure you follow. Or Instagram at Gregory Hill. I gotta do plugs. Then you will see that I go on rants about times about the power of one. And the power one simply is. We do in society, man, we get caught up in the views, we get caught up in how rankings and all that stuff, but at the end of the day, all it takes is one person to hear your message, one person to buy your book, one person to watch your video, one person to read your comment, one person to read your status that could change your life forever. We're all sitting here looking for a million subscribers, a million downloads, sponsorships, uh, blue checks, all that good stuff. But if we just make our focus on being our authentic selves and creating content that we believe can change the culture, I'm telling you, all it takes is one view. If you got nine views on your video, what if that one view is for that director, that company that's going to call you and bring you out and maybe speak on a panel? Or that maybe that one person... That says, man, what, what they said was powerful. I read this one page in this book and tells the elementary school that they're on the PTSA board or maybe that they know the principal. But man, you need to bring this guy in and buy 250 books. Or that one person that views our YouTube trailer that has maybe like YouTube channel, my bad, that has around 35 subscribers and no more than like a thousand views or all the videos on the channel. That says, man, that person has the potential. Maybe they, they can end up on Hollywood someday. Or they tell a casting director, like, have you seen that person? you seen the script? Don't get caught up in the numbers. And definitely do not start because of the numbers. Because I know a lot of people are, are waiting on ideas, are, are waiting to start their brains, waiting to do a lot of stuff because their brand's not at the level yet. They don't got 10,000 this, they don't got 10,000 that. Shut up and get it going. Because all it takes, like I'm telling you, is that one view. And if you really believe in what you're spewing out or what you're sharing, whatever platform you're doing, if it affects and changes one person's life, then that's enough, ain't it? Because I guarantee if you change enough people's life, that one person change another person, another person, it's going to get back to you in some way. The universe will bend to its will. I think I'm still in the thunder of my guess when this quote, but the universe will bend to your will if you're putting out that good energy, that good content, and staying true to the game. So every single view matters. Every single comment matters. Every single frame matters. It matters and continue to push forward regardless of where you're starting at now because I guarantee you start playing that seed one day. And I know I'm, I'm back on that theme of playing seeds. Playing seeds on Monday. Playing seeds on Tuesday. Playing seeds on Wednesday. Playing seeds on Thursday. Next week you play seed. The week after that you play seed. The month after that you play seed. The next year you have to play seed. In a decade you got no choice but to have a garden full of flowers. But if you plant five seeds back to back to back and then stop because it ain't growing, what's going to happen in a decade? That person with that, the person that kept playing, he going to have all these plants. And you're going to be looking over there like, what in the world? We got the same talent. Put it out there. Woo, I'm excited. But let me get jump into this podcast. Remember, 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 I still got y'all early in the game. If you have listened to this podcast more than once and you haven't left a review on iTunes and you got an iPhone, shame on you. <laughs> Please stop what you're doing right now. Leave us a review on iTunes. We need to get back in the rankings. I know I just talked about it, but <laughs> but we need to get back up there. So please do us a favor. Leave a review so we can get this content out to more others. Let's kick off and start the show. On this show, we interview young, successful minorities in a variety of fields to educate, empower, and inspire our current and 
future generation of leaders. And dang, I always say it the same way. As we always do, I got another show for you today. And I'm I'm excited because I know the last four or five episodes, we've had doctors on the show. We've had people in the, like the mid-career phase. But I'm always good to touch the culture and see where it's at. And the young man that we got online, that's crazy. I'm calling young man like, yo, G, you ain't 40 years old. I don't know why I call somebody a young man. But, <laughs> <laughs> but the guy we have online, man, fresh out of college, man. Did his thing from an HBCU man is really is going to be one of the lead trailblazers in, in demystifying science and and like politics. Like I looked at his YouTube channel and it's like this, the stuff that he is he's representing and saying in the matter he's he's doing is like what that's that's crazy. I never thought about it like that. Also, he's a terrific public speaker. I'm gonna read a little bit of his bio's bio. And then we're going to jump right into it. I'm excited, as you can tell. So he is an odd combination of things. I mean, he graduated in May 2016 with the highest GPA in his marine and environmental sciences program, while also serving as a student body president at Hampton University. He is an NOAA and NASA scholarship recipient and a paid public speaker. For one year, he also co-hosted a millennial-focused radio segment would discuss topics like STEM and politics in layman's terms, which is definitely, definitely needed. After discovering that a research-based career was not for him, he began fusing his love for emphatic communication with science as a science communicator. He now volunteers at the Marion Cochland, hopefully I said that right, Science Museum in D.C., and is the creator of Fascinate. And Fascinate is a YouTube series with short two to three minute engaging science videos with a touch of his own personal brand of humor. He aspires to create revolutionary programs to augment our current educational system, which is needed. And he believes that radical, I mean radical changes in STEM education are necessary to prepare current students for a rapid changing work environment. So without further ado, I'm excited, I'm pumped, I'm overjoyed to introduce my dog, my brother, Justin Schaefer, to the Minority Trailblazer podcast. Welcome to the show. <laughs> hey, what's happening, Greg? Man, that was tough, man. You, you should do freestyle rap. You do any freestyle? <laughs> nah, man. Like I said, I think it was like episode fifty-six. Um, I'm like a, I'm like an OD elite hype man. Like that's that's all I wanted to be. Like <laughs> growing up, because I always knew to stay in my lane. And I said, man, I'm, I'm probably not going to be a rapper. However. If I if you give me the the, the the verses, the songs, I know what points to kind of get big hype on. I was like, I always imagine me uh, the, just jumping on the stage, getting the hype, getting the crowd ready for the main event. And it's kind of like, well, I got this show. Like, I'm not the main event. You the yeah, main event. Really? My guest the main event. So I just get the world hip and hype to people like you. <laughs> it's oh, it's oh, 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 so fitting, man. I feel it. I love the energy. I'm going to come right back at you with it, man. You leave me with the energy. I follow you with the energy, brother. I got you. I got you. I got you, man. So. Um, as we always do, it's customary. We start the show off with a quote and a story about how you apply that quote to your everyday life. So, Mr. Schaefer, man, take us away. Give us a quote and a story about how you apply it. Dang. I'd say if there was one quote that I live by, uh, it's not something that I've read anywhere else. It's actually something I came up with on my own. Uh, and it's actually something to do with science communication. It says... The universe bends to the will of the human mind. And I truly believe that, you know, if you take a certain perspective, then you can really shape the universe in the way that you want to. So I'm, I'm trying to think of a story that really that really takes that into perspective. I guess for me, it would probably be 
the time when I was sitting in that laboratory that you just said, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm not really too good with the research thing. <laughs> I was sitting in that laboratory uh, working seven days a week uh, in New Jersey. Mm-hmm. And I realized that I was not using myself. I was not fully utilized to my full potential. And I thought about ways that I could get there. And I just decided at that point that I wanted to speak. Mm-hmm. And the lab was not for me. And as soon as I made that decision, things just started to coalesce and materialize in a way that, I guess, moved me towards bending the universe to the will of my own mind. Mm. Yeah, nah. So when you were doing research in a lab or whatnot, what, like, what is it? And let's take it back, I guess, to kind of paint the whole picture, man. Share with our audience kind of your story growing up leading into this whole how'd you got into environmental science where you come from why hampton all that take us down back down memory lane man okay way 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 back okay so it starts off with me growing up uh in the south side of chicago no one around me liked or appreciated science that i knew so i always kind of had this inner nerd that i hid from people because I felt uncomfortable mm-hmm. about it. I mean, you know, being on the south side of Chicago sometimes, it's kind of weird to be interested in some of the things that I was just fascinated by. Which part and of south side? Like south side, south side? Like the stuff south you see side, on TV? South side. Like 8714 South Kingston, there were black stones growing up on the on the block that I lived on. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, and, and that was only part of my childhood. I spent mm-hmm. another part of my, my upbringing, I guess, my teenage years uh, in the suburbs. So I'm not going to, you know, completely. Like, <laughs> I was like, <laughs> but, um, but uh, yeah, like, uh, so I, I came up in, in, in that upbringing, in that surrounding, and I found out later on that I have a genetic link to STEM. I actually, my grandfather was this engineer who went to Sony uh, in Japan to give them the VCR prototype. Wow. Like, he was one of the people that helped to develop that. But I didn't even know that, man. It was like a genetic link that I didn't know about, and I was always interested in science. I didn't understand why. It was crazy. So, grew up, man, went to high school. Was a was a pretty bad kid in high school, honestly. For real, bro. Uh, <laughs> like like the guy that's just to... always talking in class, getting in trouble, or like a bad doing real real bad stuff. Oh no no no! Probably more the first one. Honestly, okay. I was more mischievous. Yeah, uh, I was bored. <laughs> I had the whole single mom thing going on, okay. which I don't like to use as an excuse ever. Mm-hmm. But um, I think that you know, if I'm looking back, that's part of the reason why I acted out because there was nobody to put me in my place. Mm-hmm. So uh, yeah, so. I found out in high school that I was good at talking and I was good at science. So I'm like, what's the most politically applicable science out there? Because I can lead people, I can rally people, and I like the science. Mm-hmm. And I thought about it. I'm like, okay, climate change is going on. You got all these other problems with sustainability going on. Okay, maybe environmental science is the way to go for that. And so that's kind of why I picked that major. Mm. And then, yeah, fast forward through that. And I ended up like tricking people into thinking I'm likable enough to be elected student body president <laughs> at Hampton. So I'm like the only science, like hard science major that's like <laughs> had a, a position of student government association president. It's kind and of a Hampton, weird combo. Why Hampton? <laughs> so I'm gonna be completely 100 with you, man. Uh-huh. Completely 100. Howard was my like was my top choice. Yeah. But they weren't coming with the money on time, mm. and Hampton ended up giving me a, a pretty decent scholarship. Because I was a good test taker. I was a lucky uh, dude, test taker. And that's you, why I ended up in Hampton. Uh, so you killed the SAT. Yeah, it was an ACT out in the oh, Midwest. Okay, yeah. I got you. I got you. I got you. Uh, I've always found it fascinating of how that, in my opinion, a lot of SGA presidents, 
in in especially HBCUs, man, they they really do not leverage their brand um as much and not even though it's like, well, you do it for the service. I get it, but you give have all this leadership, this exposure on a collegiate right. level and all these positions, you meeting with all these people. And then I've seen it with my own eyes. So many graduate and really just don't some graduate take off and do well. Some graduate and really don't do what I believe they probably are capable of. And I'm like, dog, like you you mm-hmm. the leverage that experience. So um if you could if you could share kind of your journey as far as as a student leader on campus because I know you can, ah, dang I, I mixed up the questions because I wanted that's gonna be the last question but before that you went from mischievous young cat to your freshman year you were a freshman class president too right yes sir so what is it like being a leader because I think this is the parallel that anybody listening to this podcast can kind of draw from being a leader really before you were really a leader. Not to say that you weren't a leader when you were growing up. <laughs> no, but you no, 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 leader, no. You, you were absolutely saying? right. You're absolutely right, brother. So freshman class president, I, dude, when I'm running for that position, I had experience in high school like narrating plays, right? Okay. So, I mean, I got the whole voiceover voice down pat. Ah. So the only thing that I was able to finesse was to go up there on the speech and sound like I should be the president or something. <laughs> That's the only thing that I had to exemplify any leadership. <laughs> So the rest I learned through trial and error and and failing and falling and, you know, being like feeling like I was never going to get this figured out. Right. So, uh, yeah, there was a big period. Cause it, so to, to backtrack even a little bit more, when I was in Chicago, I mean, I had this kind of mischievous demeanor. People didn't really take me seriously. I still don't want to be taken too seriously. I mean, you kind of see my channel. I don't yeah. like to be too serious. But, but soap same, kills um, you. How does soap kill bacteria? And then it's like, oh, and I was like, man, this dude, what kind of acting is that? Like the blood on the hand. I was like. Yeah, people were clowning me, too, if you saw the comments <laughs> on my Instagram. But I mean, but that's kind of who I am. I mean, that, that hasn't changed at all. But what I did think about was that, hey. I'm in college now. I have a clean slate. Uh, I don't have to be uh, around all these bad influences anymore. I can change the people I surround myself with and uh, like run for this leadership position and and see what happens. You know, I didn't think I was going to, you know, win for sure or anything like that. I just said, I'm going to give it my best shot and then we'll see what happens. And lo and behold, things worked out. (laughs) And every single year you were consistently a part of SGA? So, yeah, so I, I was reelected sophomore class president, and then I ran for vice president, lost to this other dude. His name is Caleb. He's pretty dope. Caleb was a dope dude, man. He came with the craziest campaign. Couldn't touch him. Mm-hmm. But after that, I ran unopposed for SGA president the next year. Yeah. Oh, man. So if if, if, if somebody else or you were to sum up your, your lasting legacy as SGA president, like what were you able to accomplish, man? So we were able to bring some technology changes onto campus. I remember we got some charging stations, some LCD screens up. We had a whole report given to administration about what the students felt was behind in terms of technology. And they've used that to bring things on campus like the shuttles and stuff like that. But that's a tangible stuff. Yeah. I mean, you know, people are going to forget about that. People are going to forget my name. People are going to forget what I did there. But, you know, the thing that I think is even more important than that is that, you know, I've I found those right people that were in that had potential to be leaders and I selected them and I pulled them up and I pushed them and I made them the leaders of today at Hampton University's campus. So I'm much more proud of that, honestly, because I feel like that's what people are going to continue to benefit from even after the charging stations and <laughs> yeah. TV breaks down and all that stuff. Yep. 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 And this is going to be a, a, a very hard on the spot question. So 
if if you had to sum up your college experience and and what you gained from it to kind of throw a nugget for the audience in one word, what would it be and why? Perspective. Mm. Dig deep. Perspective. Perspective. I say that because, man, I I like I, I experienced. Dang, and I'm I'm kind of using a whole bunch of other adjectives here now. <laughs> no, you're good. You're good. Explain. That's the thing. I mean, you explain it. You can explain however you want. Yeah. So I I gained perspective because I experienced so much discomfort in college, man. Like I pushed myself all out out of types of all of my comfort zones. I'm not like I'm the least dancingest dude you ever seen, bro. <laughs> but I was up there on the stage dancing in college. I I got in front of people and spoke. I got in front of people that were older than me that were judging me and spoke. Got in front of crowds of like 1,000 and more and spoke. And um, I, I went away. I moved away from Chicago. Mm-hmm. I think that's one of the biggest things. Uh, like a lot of people, and, and you know, this isn't the case for everybody, but a lot of people, uh, they stay in their surroundings and they become stagnant because of that. Mm-hmm. And I think moving away from Chicago for me was one of the best things I could have done. It, it gave me a different perspective on how black people were. Mm-hmm. I didn't even think, and, and to be real with you, man, I didn't even think black people were as capable of as much as, you know, like it, 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 like the quantity of black people mm-hmm. was as high, uh, like the quantity of quality black people was as high mm-hmm. as it was when I came to an HBCU. So I came out to an HBCU, I'm like, man, these are actually black people that are doing big things. I have no excuse. I can't use this single parent crutch anymore. Mm-hmm. I need to come out because my perspective changed. And really push myself because it's really about how lazy I've been in high school and mm-hmm. how and how you know goofy I was and how I didn't take anything seriously. So perspective, man. Nah, that's 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 huge. And I th- I guess what was what would you say was the most dit like not comfortable part of your collegiate experience? Man, I, I it would have to be freshman year. Uh, so man, this one was really uncomfortable. Um, so I, there was a party, a pool party that I was responsible for throwing. Mm-hmm. And there was a, a friend of mine, a classmate, uh, who I guess he couldn't swim. And they, I guess no one ever found out what happened. But at the end of the party, they found this kid at the bottom of the pool. And a day later, they declared him dead. He drowned oh, in the pool party that God. I threw. And, um, man, this was a really tough time for me because obviously this is like, like when I tell you this is like in my inner circle of guys, there's like four guys I hung out with freshman year. You know, you kinda got your squad. Yeah, you get you got you gotta have your squad everywhere. <laughs> right. He was like in that. Wow. And I'm talking about not not just like this kid that that's not even like not doing anything with his life. This kid had like a three point seven GPA, bio major, wow. super active on campus, tons of potential. Uh and I had to be like at, at that moment I was freshman class president, so I had to be the rock for my class and uh man i'm talking about an uncomfortable situation like uh i mean because i mean at, at the same time like there's a part of me that that you know obviously you never it's never healthy to do this psychologically but a part of you always says well what if i would have scheduled that party mm-hmm. for you know, tomorrow or you know what i mean like so it was definitely a, a man it was it was so uncomfortable but like it, it brought us all together and now it it, it gave me the conviction like it was that experience that gave me the conviction that man, I can take on anything. Like if I could, if I could go through that while you know finals and all this other stuff is going on, and I could still be a rock for my class and still be there for everybody and still handle business. 
man, what, what can't I do at this point? You know, yeah, it was really that experience that that molded me in that way. No, that's 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 definitely that's definitely real, man. So, all right, we done with college. We done with college, which which honestly for you wasn't too far, man, ago. A, a so I know you you were about to touch on it, but briefly, not briefly, but let's let's jump into that weird space after college because did you so going in college when you fi- fi- found out that you your your passion wasn't in research did you eventually did you want to be like a doctor before and then or like what what where did, where, would, where was your perceived notion of what you wanted to be in in during that situation so i guess after i figured that out that was pretty early i was like freshman year i figured out okay i'm not doing this <laughs> mm-hmm. uh i thought i wanted to go into law school for maybe like environmental policy or something like that and uh you know it, it's it's kind of a weird situation for me, but uh, I actually ended up taking the LSAT, the law school admissions test, and I, I did good enough to get a scholarship and all that, but I just, I had no passion. I had no fuel. There was nothing compelling me to do that, and I, I couldn't figure out why. Like, I couldn't understand, and it took me like years from the moment that I just didn't feel compelled to do it to, to really understand why it was that you know, my passion wasn't there and that I didn't have the energy to continue down that path. Mm, nah, that's, that's, that's real. That's real. So when did you decide like to make that pivot? I mean, I decided to make the pivot, man, honestly, senior year. Woo! Senior year in college. Well, so, you, how, what was the friends with friends looking at you sideways? Like mom, I mean, cause you had to have a lot of mentors within the institution kind of like you, cause I mean, you're the SGA president. So you're supposed to be the guy that kind of had a head on his shoulders. Right, right, right. And yeah, I mean, people were looking at me like, you know, like, okay. I mean, I'm, I, I didn't, I feel like people were saying stuff more behind my back, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> like people, because like, you know, like I surround myself with a lot of positive people, but I think sometimes they don't tell me like, okay, what, what are you talking about, bro? And <laughs> I mean, I, honestly, I think that the, that, that positivity was what I did need at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, but they were just like, okay, I mean, I, I, I so what are you exactly trying to do? And at the time, I didn't I didn't exactly know. I, I decided to take a full time job offer uh, fall semester, senior year, doing nothing to do. My job is, is technology consulting right now. So I, I do nothing to do with what my degree is in uh, in in at work, mm-hmm. like at my nine to five. But um, I was like, yeah, I want to do voiceovers because uh, that, that was a big thing for me. I, like I said, I've done the narration. I can do like the, you know, the, the Empire and like those old mixtape voices. I used to always do that for kicks. Uh, so, I mean, so I, so at that at that time, I was like, that's what I want to get into. And maybe, you know, mix a little bit of science into that. I, I don't know. And I just felt like I had the least conviction, uh, like for the, at least for the past three or four years. Like usually when people ask me where my career is going, I have this confident elevator pitch and man, I got it all figured out. And I'm like, the room stops because I give my elevator pitch. right? <laughs> but, you know, like that had completely turned around my senior year because I like did this introspection and soul searching. I'm like, man, this is what do I really want for myself? Like, mm-hmm. is this traditional career path what I really want for myself or are any traditional career paths what I really want for myself? And, you know, I. Like that was before I really read deeply into entrepreneurship and uh, I guess the entrepreneurial school of thought. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, but like once I once I discovered that, things changed. Nah, I got you. I got you 110. percent And it's always it's kind of funny because I I, I feel like I was the same way I, up until junior year. I already knew it because 
had like a 3.7 GPA and I had multiple internships with Fortune 500 companies. I said, after two years of college, I mean, after, after I graduate two years of work experience, I'm going to go to Harvard, get my MBA. Then I'm going to be this, this kind of executive. And I would just like, nobody had a better, cause I already, I, I nobody had a better, uh, speech than me as far as boom, boom, boom. And then it just, I started, I started throwing events and, and, and throwing parties and it just went real left. And by the time of my second senior year, it was like, it was a whole different story. And it, of course, I still had the confidence in what I was doing, but there's so much uncertainty when you start going down those creative paths. And, of, and, of, and unfortunately, we've been, we've been taught and I do want to kind of delve into that because we're going to be all over the place this interview, but I do want to talk because in the school system, we're kind of, yeah, we're, we're just, we're not really taught how to create. We're not really, we're just taught to be in that system. So when you go against it, you always feel like there's just no railing or no nothing. Like it's, it's something you're not supposed to do. It's like the, the playground you're not supposed to go to. So, oh um, you are, yeah, you're so, on it, man. So yeah, if you can try to jump into, cause I know I, that's really profound. You said you want to make some changes to, the education system. So just off the top, man, I mean, just talking like STEM and just in general, if you were, you were to propose some changes, man, what would they be and why? So you hit the nail on the head, man. Creativity. I think in this day and age with this fast paced, uh, I guess information dense society that we have in, if you can craft a creative message or just craft creative content, it is more lucrative to do that now than it's ever been before. Mm-hmm. So why are we not putting programs in place that are preparing students to craft creative content? Because whatever it is that you're going to be doing, there is going to be a creative side to that now, which is far more important than it's been in the past because we're so brand conscious. We're so brand focused. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's just that's the that's the biggest thing that I absolutely want to uh, tackle. And and the and the bigger question is because I know you you're also from a STEM perspective, but how? Because when I think about STEM, honestly, STEM it, it it does it takes a lot of reading, it takes a, to being able to comprehend. You have to write, understanding, and some some of the stuff. And people don't kill me, but I, it's not backed up by research. But that's some of the stuff that honestly people like from Southside Chicago, people from Durham, North Carolina, we struggle with as a culture because. If you don't have, if you're not in certain spaces or have certain people around you or influences, you might right. be in high school, not be at a great read level. That doesn't mean you don't like science, but you need to be able to read and comprehend, have some attention span. So what do you right. think, what are some things that we possibly are, are missing early on in the middle schools and some of the mm-hmm. elementaries to really make this STEM thing work for outside of like these brainiac, some, some brainiac black kids? Right. Like what about the other ones? Can STEM so- be relevant in other areas? I mean, absolutely. I think that some of the most creative people aren't necessarily those like in the lab math geek types of folks. And those are the people that can add the most value to science because they can tell people how science is relevant Mm -hmm. to the rest of society. But what I'll say is like, and even in a bigger picture thing, I'd say that there's like this cultural attitude of, I guess, distaste toward STEM fields in the African-American community. Even I even give you an example from when I did the radio show. So people would ask me frequently what I did. And I would just I would just say, like what you said in the intro, I'm a marine and environmental science major. And they're like, oh, whoa, 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 you're marine and environmental, whatever. And it's like and like that's that's the response that I get frequently is like, you know, I I don't want to pronounce entirely what you do. 
because you know science and 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 all that is too hard it's only for a certain type of person Mm -hmm. and i think that Mm. you know that attitude at that base level needs to shift and it's going to take people that are looking like you and me Mm -hmm. that are in the fields that are showing people ways that they can do it you know without like you don't have to be uh you know, a, a pasty, you know, <laughs> untanned person in a lab coat with glasses that are, you know, like super thick mm-hmm. and, you know, to be a, a STEM nerd, like there's another way to look at being a STEM nerd. And even, I mean, and, and like, this is something I want to be tackling in, in my season two. I think that, you know, being in STEM can have some kind of sex appeal to it if somebody takes the right mm. perspective. So, you know, yeah, there, there's absolutely uh, th- I think there needs to be a shift in the and we're going back to this word, the perspective that people take on STEM uh, in, in order for it to, to start changing in the, in the big picture way that I think it should. Now you hit on the head because even when I proposed the question, my my perspective of STEM is still really soaked in, man. You have to be because I consider myself a pretty smart dude. But when any chemistry, science, my my brain doesn't even try, even though I got B's and A's in, in high school on it. It just mm-hmm. seems so like out there and astronomical, and I'm like, man, I don't even want to touch that. And 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 I, and I it's a it's a wide view around it. So I think well, people like yourself, this kind of breaking it down to a, a simple way is the small steps into kind of making it making it big. And as we as we segue into that present day, tell us about Fascinate Side Man. What 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 allowed you? What spurred you to kind of start it? Um, and then I got some more questions along the way around that brain. Okay. Well, yeah, man, it started in a, I think this one started in a really weak place. I think I was in a very, uh, in a very, I think it was honestly a very depressing time. Uh, right after college, uh, I, like I said, I didn't know like exactly what I wanted to do. So I actually didn't have a job before. So you, you didn't jump. So I had a, I had a job set up, but it was about two months after uh, I graduated. So there was like a time for two months where I'm just kind of sitting there not knowing exactly what, my next move was going to be. Mm-hmm. But I did something very, very important during that time period that I think, uh, I mean, and, and I've suggested this to other people and they found, you know, moderate to, to high levels of success with it. And I, I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll say it for the, for the sake of the, the listenership. So what I did was in that two month period, mm-hmm. I was still on the college campus. Uh, no, not, not on the college campus, living to, like right off of campus and in an apartment complex. I turned off all of my social media, deactivated everything, disconnected myself from pretty much everybody. So I had like no input, no outside input. And I just did this thing where I just gravitated whatever I moved towards naturally without having anyone telling me what I should be doing. That's what I just directed my attention towards for two months. And what do you know? It ended up being, well, you know, science and technology based videos. So over and over again, I kept finding myself multimedia, science, technology, multimedia, science, technology. And for two months, this is what I did when no one was telling me what I should be doing. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, OK, this is what I want. This is what I care about. And this is what I want to do. So I started teaching myself. <laughs> I, 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 this is a term of endearment I use. I, I call it YouTube University. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> I, mean, I mean, like I really I taught myself graphic design, Photoshop video editing, uh, how to use a teleprompter, read from a teleprompter correctly, um, all of this because I wanted to get content out. I wanted to talk about science in a way that was like not just some bootleg stuff, you know, Mm -hmm. (laughs) because I mean, 
like a lot of times, I don't know, you'll see people and, and this, this is a and, and, and I know sometimes people can't help with, you know, the hardware they have. Mm-hmm. And I mean, like I, I assembled some cheap stuff I, I, on YouTube. I found, you know, cheap ways to put together a semi-professional looking setup. Got a finesse. But, um, yeah, it was finesse, man. It was honestly a lot of finesse. And so I, I started I'm like a self-running operation. I write my own scripts. Uh, I, I record myself from a teleprompter. And I edit all of my own videos. I edit all of my own graphics. I create some of the graphics. I, you know, shoot all the B-roll, all that. Uh, and I know it's a really efficient start. I mean, it's a really inefficient start. I mean, mm-hmm. obviously, you know, you want more people to be doing this to get your <laughs> output higher. But, I mean, you know how it is, man, when you're starting off. You, you, like, it's, it's really just me and my passion right now. Yeah. And, you know, it, it's already taking some... Uh, it's already taking some steam. I mean, I'm get, I've gotten some pretty cool speaking engagements off of it. And I can talk about those, too, a little bit later if you want. Yeah, no, nah, we're going to we definitely going to jump into that. And I want but I want to stay around in this in the fascinate side lane a uh, uh, quick, because one question I want to have uh, I want to I wanted to ask is how do you plan on staying consistent with your with your content output? Because I know there's a lot of people out there that are listening that. They have projects that they started on and they got, they, they, they had a little, uh, started having a little buzz and the creative juice was flowing and then they hit a low where it's around like, dang man, are my viewership's not going up? And sometimes my viewership's going down or I'm, if I'm selling a product, I'm selling product and some now is not selling and they hit this thing and I feel like some, a lot of times they have no, clear plan on that consistent part because it's easy to get started. It's not, no, it's hard to get started, but what is your plans on staying consistent? to to your baby man yeah that's a that's a big question man i'm sure that's probably something you've faced as well oh yeah man I, I, that's yeah. that's why that's why i asked even with the podcast it's like well a year in even though we've hit a lot of metrics i wanted to hit there there was a there was a period is like wow man I, or you might miss an episode here and there and then it's like man well shoot we stuck at like 400 400 followers on this or we're stuck at $101,000 or this week we went down and you get caught up in that rather than the reason why you wanted to do it anyways. Right. And I mean, I think you kind of hit on it right there. Uh, I mean, for me, and, and this is even bigger, honestly, I struggled with that at first too, the consistency, because I think, you know, I was, like I said, I was in that kind of STEM academia way of thinking about things, you know, like you have a, a syllabus or a rubric and you have to consistently hit those those, you know, metrics every time and make sure that you get the grade you want. Like, that's the way that I learned how to perform. Mm-hmm. But creativity oftentimes has, like you said, these ebbs and flows, these highs and lows where, you know, things aren't going to always work out the way that you want them to. And a part of it was, I mean, like, obviously, this isn't my primary source of income, so it's different for other people. Yeah. But for me, part of it is like allowing for a little bit of uh, ebb and flow. And, and even for me, like allowing for a little bit of like, variety. I have to, at this point, I won't record something unless I'm excited to talk about it. Mm-hmm. And it's not going to be every time. It's not going to be every week that I'm excited to talk about something. But, you know, when it comes to, uh, I guess, continuing to make sure that I do it, I I'm, I kind of put it all around me. So what I say, like my logo is my desktop background. My password to my computer is like a variation of like a goal I have for the channel. I, I'm reaching out to people for collaborations. So I, it's, it's kind of like this obsession that I have that I can't I can't like go get away from it. Mm-hmm. Like I put it in my face all the time in these subliminal ways. And I think that's just the, the best way to keep my mind. I guess that, that background thought, that background latent creative thought process that I guess isn't quite taught to us in academia. Mm-hmm. I, like I, I keep that circulating all the time because I'm constantly 
subjecting myself to all this subliminal, you know, <laughs> fascinating yeah, stuff. Nah, <laughs> I love it. I love it. Although I would challenge you that on, on the fact of so. So do you always create only when you feel like it, though, when you feel inspired? So, <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, I wouldn't say like I always. So what, what's happened recently, I told you I'm in Charlotte now, but I'm based out in D.C. OK, uh, what's, what's happened recently, which has helped my creativity is to give myself this deadline because I know I go to I'm in Charlotte from Monday to Thursday every week. Mm-hmm. So this has helped me immensely because I know if I don't produce something by Sunday, it's going to be a whole nother week before I'm able to get that stuff out. Mm-hmm. So even the concept of a deadline has helped me co- publish even when I quite didn't quite feel like it per se. But I mean, I mean, I know, I think you, you did touch on to something, but where were you going with that? Yeah. Cause I, cause the reason why I asked, because I, I've, I've read a book, uh, Steve by Stephen Pressfield, the war, the art of war, no, the war of art. And it, 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 and cause I, cause I, I write as well, but I don't write as consistently as I record podcasts, but I was always thought, I was like, man, I used to think about creativity and having creativity blocks and whatnot. And he, he speaks about it in the books. And I don't know the quotes per se at a page number, but he always speaks like every morning as a writer. Cause I always thought like, what are the professional writers? Yeah. You just, you, 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 some, some, some days he doesn't feel like, like writing, but even the days he doesn't feel like it and he puts out a bad product, that doesn't mean that he puts it out or it goes in the book, but it's just that 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 constantly working that muscle, working that muscle, working that muscle. So specifically when you just starting off, because I think, especially even I could say with this podcast, like I think we were consistent for the first 40 out no, first 21 episodes, 21 weeks. And then I, I took a month break and then season two, month break, season three. And honestly, this season three, like I owned up to all my podcasters or my, my, my regular podcast listeners that I haven't been as consistent as far as with my teaching schedule and whatnot. But I, mm. my, my audience stayed with me because I was so consistent for almost a whole year of not. And I think that helped continue to build esteem. But sometimes when you start and stop, and you know, you probably familiar with Eric Thomas and he always uh-huh. is a big proponent of that start and stop, specifically when you first start. It can get, it can slow the progress of where where you really should be because you're right. looking you looking you looking for plants when you should be playing seeds. Right, and, yeah, and I get you, and I, I mean that's yeah that's that's a big deal, and I, I guess I kind of I kind of didn't allude to the fact I'm like constantly writing scripts. Ah, uh, gotcha. So I, that that's something I, I guess I I didn't quite touch on as much, but I, I didn't really think about it this way. I guess that is kind of a way of flexing that muscle. So I use this app called google keep it's kind of like evernote it's one of those things it can transfer from your computer to your cell phone oh wow it's like a a note-taking app okay so anytime i get inspiration so i'll be having like a conversation maybe with you and a science idea you know a way that i can look at this podcast through a scientific lens will just pop up in my head whatever it is however absurd it may sound at the moment i will write out an outline to it and, and give as much detail as i can right there right then and there on my phone pop it out and then that's like a draft. Mm-hmm. And so I have like hundreds of these, man, because I'm I'm writing something. I'd say I, I crank out at least like four of these a week. And oh, these are drafts. And so, yeah, like so there'll be so I'll go through my drafts like uh, I get and season two starting back up pretty soon. Okay. So I'll, I'll run through my drafts and I'll look at one. I'm like, which one excites me the most? Uh, like I was saying before. And when I figure out which one excites me the most, that's when I, you know, go ahead and 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 crank it through. Do you have a scheduled time in which you review your ideas? And the, and the reason why I ask is maybe many of you on this call 
on, on this podcast are kind of like myself. Like I do the same way. I have I, I got notebooks. I got app note. I got um note book folders in my my uh my phone on speech topics, different things and or different ideas. But however, I don't have. I never I never go back and look at them that often. So do you mm-hmm. kind of plan intentionally doing that, or you just started to create the habit of always reviewing, or is that systematic, or that's kind of like how how do you go? Mm-hmm. About it? That's an interesting question. I don't have any set time, but I will say that I I know a time that I use it a lot. So uh, let's say what's a good so like in transit. That's mm-hmm. that's one of the times I use it a lot. Like if you take public transportation or something like that, mm-hmm. a lot of people sit there, listen to the music on the headphones, scroll down the timelines, consume. Right. Mm-hmm. But if you spent that same time producing or reviewing your productions, imagine how much that could potentially increase your productivity. So. I mean, that's how I think of it. So, I mean, like when, when I have this like this time where like my mind could be idle, I'm like, let me just look through it. Like, I, and, I, and I think what helps is, like I said, like even on my wallpaper on my phone, mm-hmm. there's this big Fascinate logo <laughs> staring at me all the time. So that's constantly reminding me like, hey, Fascinate, 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 mm-hmm. you know. So um, and another time, I don't know if you heard this line recently. It's off the uh, Kendrick album. He said, what do you say? Antisocial extrovert. Yeah, um, <laughs> that spoke to my soul when he said it. I was, I was yeah, like, oh, I yeah, felt that one. I felt that one too, man. <laughs> yeah, but um, so I think like even at like social functions, sometimes if conversation is really shallow or you know moving towards small talk, a lot of people will pull out their phones and scroll down their timelines. But once again, I'll use that as time to create. You know, <laughs> if people aren't talking about nothing, I'm like, okay, let me look at what I've been working on. You know what I mean? So it's it goes back to that obsessive nature that I, I, I at least have been trying to ingrain in myself, but it's absolutely not scheduled. I'm not too good with like scheduled regiments. I'm, I'm probably different from a lot of people in that sense. Um, but like my, my brain craves variety yeah. all the time. Uh, and so I, it helps, I think like with creativity, but with consistency, it's definitely uh, one of my weak points if I do it in a very structured or regimented way. Yeah, everybody's brain is definitely different. And I know you were about to, to go there, but I want to go ahead and open that door. I know you spoke to the fact that that uh, that you, you've you received some speaking advice from uh, Fascinate Side. But and ultimately, you've been speaking since. Like, yeah, how long have you been speaking, man? And, and, and briefly talk about kind of your, your evolve, your evolvement, involvement. Oh, that's not even a word. Um, <laughs> uh, your, your growth in your speaking world, which is still young, but I know I, I always have a lot of aspiring speakers reach out to me or a lot of people this, this, that are, are, are either want to become or are becoming, but you've, you've been speaking longer than I have, man. So kind of walk us through your journey, man, and, and some of, some of the, uh, the things you've learned, uh, along the way. Sure thing. Sure thing. So started off when I was eight years old, man. And, uh, I was, it was a humble beginning, man. I was in a flea market on the south side of Chicago. What? I remember this vividly. <laughs> yeah, it was a You fun. selling bean pies, man? Man, yeah, I was out there selling bean <laughs> pies, man. Yeah, I was, I was, when the traffic stopped, I just hopped out there and sell, nah. But, um, <laughs> so it, it was like some dude that was trying to sell his children's books. And so there was like a small gathering of like 10 to 15 people that was, like crowded around to, you know, maybe potential buyers or people that were interested in what was going on. And so he said, I need a kid to read this children's book. And my grandmother, man, she's like, she was like the light 
uh, in my upbringing. Uh, and, and, and sometimes she was the darkness. <laughs> Grandma's <laughs> always the light and the dark. Give me that switch. Like, what? I'm not going to no tree. You better go. Like, no, no, I ain't doing that. You my half grandma anyways. You ain't speaking to me. But that's neither right there. <laughs> like half grandmas want to go hard. Like, you ain't even full grandma. Yeah. Even the half grandmas be going hard sometimes. <laughs> but yeah, no. Nah, so she was aggressively encouraging uh, in a lot of points in my life. And at this point, she was especially aggressively encouraging because she was like, go up there and read that. You can read that. And like I said, I'm eight years old, man. I'm this little kid. It was a shaky, high-pitched voice. And I go up there and I'm like, you know, like, like just talking and stuttering my way through these little tiny words, these little three, four letter words. And like, I feel my heart beating through my chest and I feel like tears coming, like about to stream down my eyes. I'm like eight years old in front of 10 people, man. And I'm like, I can't handle this. But I remember specifically at that moment, I, I, more than I didn't like public speaking, I didn't like being uncomfortable. I didn't like being in that position of vulnerability where I, I was just so I felt so weak at that moment that, you know, like th- this had really gotten to me that much. Uh, and it, when I was eight years old when I had that feeling and then after it was over, it didn't feel so bad anymore. It still felt pretty bad, but <laughs> not as bad like heart racing and tears, you know, streaming down your eyes. So, I mean, so from that point forward, I decided to attack it every time, every time there was some speaking thing. I attacked it. I, I I got more confident every time I approached the stage, got more conviction. So I ended up being a lead role in this play on the south side of Chicago. Actually, Common's daughter was in it. Funny story. After the play, uh, Common, he was there signing autographs for kids. And I walked up to him. And this is like 12. This is four years later. Uh-huh. I walked up to Common and I handed him my autograph saying, hey, you're going to want this. I'm going to be somebody someday. <laughs> and, I mean, if that just shows you like how much my character transformed in about four years of just attacking discomfort as this kid. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah. And so from there, I took on more roles in like high school with narration and stuff. And, and even in college, anytime there was anything for public speaking, I was always there. I was always the guy. I, I read the morning announcements in high school. I was always the guy that was talking. And I mean, and, and, and I tried to, but not like to the point where I'm annoying people. Like, I'm always, like, I <laughs> like dang, my- man, they go Justin again, bro. You yeah, were that light skinned guy, man. You were that <laughs> light skinned guy, dog. Don't try to <laughs> downplay it, man. Your friends gonna be like, listening, just like, yeah, I remember that Jenny. Oh, it's always in somebody's face. Yeah, see, but I was I was a little weird because, like I said, it was the antisocial extrovert part of me that wanted to make myself scarce. Like I kind of <laughs> wanted to be like I kind of wanted to be that person. They'd be like. Wait, well, well, who gonna talk? Oh, wait, Justin can do it. Justin, you do it. I kind of wanted other people to say, "Hey, man, you go up there and do it." And I'd be like, "Well, okay." And then I go up there and have like a something I've been working on for like four hours. Well, if you <laughs> asked, night- yeah. I mean, since you asked, and then I go up there and like deliver like what Kendrick Control verse or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> but um, but yeah, man. So it 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 kind of just it it kind of stemmed from me attacking discomfort all the time. And uh, from there, like paid engagement started coming. I got booked on this site. Uh, it's called Great Black Speakers. Real quick, how do we? This is a question, and and, and I just wanted to kind of riff on this real quick because how can how can someone and how can we as always continue to to build that build that muscle of attacking discomfort because that is a that is a thing and 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 it's it's such. For, for our listeners on here, the struggle with, I struggle with, with at times, but having that mentality, like I have to attack 
and kill this discomfort. Not by like letting it stay, but if I, if I had discomfort with this idea, well, that should that makes you, that means you should do it instead of just leaving it leaving the nail there. I have discomfort with this conversation because mm-hmm. I mean we live in a society right now on, on the, the, to bring it to a real note that there's a lot of hardcore conversations that we need to be having, but just because we're, we're scared to deal with that discomfort. Black community and mental illness, black community, and homosexuality, black community mm-hmm. in the black church. I mean, it's, it's so many things that we don't have. And I, I'm writing about this in my blog post. Uh, I had to plug that real quick, but it's like, <laughs> yo, like 75, cause let's think about it, right? 80% of our conversations for the most part. And I, this may be me overestimating our, our fluff kind of conversations because like, okay, uh, we're, we're kind of programmed. Hey, good morning. Hey, how, how's your day going? Oh, my day is going good. How was your week going? Oh, my week was good. How would you, it's like, it's either good or bad. There's no in between. So then when we get in these spaces with people we care and love about, it's kind of even hard for us to have real conversation and communication. So how can we, how can we as a culture or how do you think we as a people, um, do you believe can, can kind of fight this, this, this thing we have with discomfort and try to mm. do that? So I, I think a, a real, uh, the way that, that like, once again, I kind of put these reminders around me all the time. So what, what I do a lot is I read biographies of people that I admire. Somebody I recently read about was Elon Musk. Uh, the CEO of Tesla, co-founder of PayPal. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, and, and you read about these people that have been astronomically successful or even people that have been successful in the way that you admire. Most of them have had a long period of their life that they spent just doing something that was really uncomfortable to them until it got really good. until they got really good at it. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, so I just kind of constantly like inundate myself with these these stories of other people doing it. And I'm like, well, this is this is what works. This is what works. Like you don't is there's not too many successes, at least to the people that I that I read about, that I look up to, that I read about that didn't have that phase where they attack. Like this is the thing that they all do. You know, it's the unifying thing. I mean, there's 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 more. But I think it's for me, at least I found that a lot of the people I admire, the unifying thing about them is that they all attack discomfort. So anytime I get that hesitance, I'm like, got to do it. And sometimes it's a mistake and sometimes I mess up, but I never regret that. You know, I, I always I always appreciate being bold, uh, you know, even if it's bold and wrong. <laughs> I, I'd rather be bold about what I've done than to have been reserved in a position where I was uh, unsure, you know. Mm-hmm. Nah, that's 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 definitely real, man. And um, I, I I do got a question, and like you can tell me if it's too personal, but I I, I don't think I've ever asked it on this um this podcast. But I did. I looked on your your profile, and I see you do have a girlfriend, right? Uh, no, not Damn. anymore. Damn. <laughs> Damn. Damn, you still got it on the social media. I was about to say how does I was about to ask. Uh, uh, we're still real cool, but okay. were you were you gonna ask though? I was about to ask uh. Uh, cause I I was just it was on my head for some reason. Though. Do you think it's inherent inherent benefit of having a relationship in college? Cause I always all my friends, I'm like, man, it would have been dope. Cause there was so many dope chicks in college. I'm like, yo, instead of cause my 22 to 20, I wasn't wild or anything like that. But it's like, man, I probably should have just kept um the Jones I talked to, but I never really made a girlfriend in college. And I said, man, look at this guy, man. He had a girlfriend in college, man. He's just like he looks like he's upstanding. Maybe he can give us some some deep response <laughs> to it. And <laughs> Yeah, I, I had a little bit of both sides of the spectrum, man. I had my phase. I mean, I mean, I'm not ashamed of anything I did or nothing like that, but I definitely had a little phase. You know, it was college. We were all having fun a little bit. Yeah. But um, yeah. So I mean, I, there was a, a significant chunk, about half of my college, that I spent in a relationship. 
And I definitely appreciated that time as well, because I think it allowed me to focus more than I would have uh, had I been worried about all these other chicks that were, you know, yeah. running around campus. I mean, like, I mean, it's Hampton. I'm A&T is pretty similar. I've been to A&T. Mm-hmm. Like, there, there are beautiful women everywhere. And there's more beautiful women than there are guys. So there's always <laughs> women for every dude. If you really, if you really do the math. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, like, so for me, it was like removing for in a lot of ways, especially at that point in, in this developmental time in my life, it helped me remove that distraction uh, I mean, at least to a certain extent. I mean, I'm obviously still human. I obviously still have eyes. Mm-hmm. I'm obviously still male. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's that's heterosexual. So, you know, that, so I'm looking. I mean, I'm still looking, but <laughs> at the same time, I don't have this distraction of like, well, like hitting these girls up at 4 a.m. talking to these girls because I have this this stable chick that is equally yoked. Yeah. That's the biggest deal. Uh, at least even in college. Um, I mean, there's some people that you're on campus with whose hustle is not going to be the same as yours. And that doesn't mean they're worse or lesser or, or not as good of people, uh, not as good of a person as you are. But, I mean, you know, you want to find someone whose grind is on the same level as yours. And if you can find that person uh, and, and and they can help you clear out a path, then, I mean, I think that's great. And and mind you, the two I was in two relationships in college. Neither of them worked out, but I still, in hindsight, I think that they were two great decisions that I made. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Question, man. Um, To go back to your speaking career before we kind of go into the future plans, I definitely want to see what's your vision for the future with Fascinating Side. Honestly, your career as well. But as far as as far as speaking concerned, I are in general, how, how are you going about balancing this? Because, of course, you're still young in your career. You want to prove yourself and be well in your space. But how, yeah. how do you, how are you how are you coping right now as far as the balance between creating, speaking, just trying to be that trend center trendsetter and that trailblazer, as well mm-hmm. as still have a credible name in the business world? Right. Well, I mean, really, for me, it I haven't struggled balancing it too much, honestly, because I just I love it so much, man. Like it's it's like I I take I take I take days off from work. Where other people, you know, they're, they're sick, they take a day off. I'll go to work sick and take a day off for speaking. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, I just, I, I love it so much. I've always, like, since I got good at it, at least, I've always. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, so, I, I mean, for me, the, 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 it's not even a, it's not, it's not even a choice. And sometimes that will affect uh, my ability to be, I guess, effective on both ends of the spectrum. But, I mean, if I had to make a choice, man, to be completely honest with you, it's, it's the speaking and it's the content creation. That's that's where my heart's at, man. And and I mean, I think that I've kind of already made that decision in my head. So it, it doesn't really it doesn't really hurt me if, you know, sometimes my performance on one end of the spectrum isn't as high because I'm like, well, this is the decision I made. And, you know, these are the consequences I have to accept. Nah, yeah, that's a that's a very very mature mature thing. I think that all becomes I, I talked about it, it was a running thing, and honestly, all all a lot of my podcasts is the process of inflection and self reflection, knowing yourself, and when you know yourself, you 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 make. And not to say we're all gurus out here, we're all growing and whatnot, but when you take that time to kind of understand really who you are, what your strengths are, what you like to do. It just it's just that much easier to really be staying confident. And be like, okay, it's cool. I might not get a five out of five out of five at work, but I mean, I ain't, as long as I ain't slipping in no two out of five, 
Hey, we good to go. That check clearing two out of five. Long people aren't walking to me. These people throwing dirt in my name. And plus, luckily, this is a little sneak tip. And maybe oh, other careers ain't like this. But for the most part, in the majority of these careers, if you're young and you can kind of, you have tact in your communication via email and via via spoken and you're, you have a presence, you can finesse. You can finesse a lot, <laughs> to be honest. Like, I finessed my whole you're three, four years right. at Corporate America. And I got great reviews because, I mean, I was prepared in my meetings. I showed up and everything. I wasn't always... Why I'm don't incriminate yourself, hey, but I wasn't always doing what I needed to do on the clock. I mean, but as when the when the time came to show up and perform, that boy G Hill, my presentation was off the chain. Boy, was like, what the, what the, what's I doing over in that finance department? I was like, hey, this is so that's kind of the gift of a, a gift of gab. I mean, and, and putting stuff together that is you just know how to spin. I mean, I mean I did work, but uh yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll get, we'll get <laughs> but man, like so what's the future like, man, for you and your career? Cause you luckily you just starting really for the most part, man, this whole new era, man. So what do you what do you think, man, the future holds for you in the next couple of years? Or let's specifically just to, let's be direct. In 2017, man, speaking, um, and as far as fascinating side right now. So, so like, what's what's my goal for the end of the year? Or you mean like, what's my goal? Yeah, what for... you got? Yeah, what you got? Yeah, let's talk first. Like right now, 2017, man. What you got shaking? What what can we expect from you as far okay. as with fascinating cool. side and, and and some of your goals for speaking and your brand gotcha. in general? Gotcha. So next week, I'm uh, speaking at the Smithsonian Ooh. in DC. Uh, it's it's for a pretty big conference. I'm like the youngest dude on the panel. It's about passing the torch of science literacy to the next generation. Mm-hmm. And so I guess I'm like the next generation. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, so that's one thing I'm doing. I'm speaking at the University of Maryland. I just spoke at my high school's career day as a keynote speaker. And these all these other alumni, like 30 something years old, like, who is this dude, man? He don't know nothing. <laughs> and I went up there and I was a keynote speaker. It's kind of crazy. But uh <laughs> But no, so uh, but as far as goals, though, uh, other things that that I that I haven't done yet that I actually want to do, I, I definitely want to do a TED talk this year, uh, and I haven't quite you know figured out the entire uh, process of like I guess how to how to get that under my belt, but I definitely want to do one this year, uh, and also I want to get an, I want to get another season out of Fascinating. I want to do some collabs with bigger uh, bigger content creators uh, to I guess to build that build that subscriber base i mean you kind of know how that works in the content mm-hmm. creation space uh and, and and to give you a, a specific tangible goal i have uh i want to get what 15k uh subscribers on youtube i'm i'm not anywhere close to that now but i mean i think with you know effort diligence and uh just being in the right place at the right time i can get there yeah, nah, that's woo. You got a, you got a, you got a long climb, boy. You got a long, <laughs> got a long climb. But I, I, it can definitely, it can definitely be done if it's done tactfully. And at the end of the day, like I think you said it early in the podcast, and I, it's it's the essence of what I was talking to with a friend of mine today. If you create good content and and you do your due diligence as far as putting it out, even if it's not this year or next year, whenever. It will get to where it needs to go. I mean, for the most part, of course, Gary V and all the the social media experts they will. I, there's more. There's more levels to that. Mm-hmm. But I, I really. But I think today we're in a premium of good content. Like there's so much bad content getting put out so much that good content, like Kendrick Lamar's album. Kendrick Lamar ain't had album in two years. He put it out. This is like it's it's quality stuff. And it right. and it makes him even look even better when everybody else is so watered down and so regular. 
Yeah, so, I mean, that's such a big deal, man. And, and you kind of reminded me of something else that I wanted to touch on. Because, uh, I mean, in this in this information age, I mean, I kind of talked about it a little earlier. We have like this saturation of information, right? We have all this content, like you said. We have all this 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 good and bad stuff out there. But a lot of times what I fail to find in my research for, you know, putting together material for this channel is truth. Mm. You know, there there's so much false there's so much misinformation out there and a lot of times i think even the people that are younger than us don't know how to sift through misinformation and they equate virality or you know the mm. popularity of Ooh. a tweet or a facebook post you preach to yeah to truth you know and and that's when it becomes extremely problematic so what i want to become what i want fascinate to become is bigger than this like multimedia entertaining channel i want to become a pillar for truth in a place where it's difficult to find it. And I want to be easy to find. I want to be truth that's easy to find for people. And, you know, that, that could be information about your health. That could be information about, uh, you know, your life, your death, maybe uh, something that, that you never knew was, was hurting you or harming you, or even something that, that's coming up that's going to blow your mind. I want it to all be true. And, you know, I mean, you know, a lot of times, in the science field, especially, like people will say, you need some gray hair before people believe what you're talking about. But you best believe I put my citations at the bottom left of every statement I make <laughs> for fascinate because I I, I I do my research because I want to be truth. I want to stand for that. Mm, I love that. And I think two things, the key thing with science, and I think it aligns directly with truth, is science makes you ask the question why. It makes right. you it makes you ask that question why and I think approaching and that's a question a lot of us inside we don't ask anymore and then I think sometimes that goes to our upbringing because you know certain households I'm gonna speak my black household you say something it's like oh why why mom because I asked you and it's like it might mm-hmm. sound small and short like oh it's cool be respect and be in your place but I think that kind of hurts us as we get older because we had that mindset it's like well if you so yeah yeah you're raised in a cult and, and raised in some families where you they don't they don't answer why you don't need to know and blah, blah blah but I think that's that's a shortcut but also um there it, how how do you plan on dealing with the challenge because you know in your field in science I mean acad- academia is kind of like the key. And and so mm-hmm. when you're in this space where, I mean, people, PhDs, all this other stuff, how do you plan on continuing to buy like the most current, accurate information, um, or or do you plan on one day going into like in a PhD to feel like how how do you plan on to battle that? That's a great question, man, and I think that it would be difficult for me to address that if I didn't think of this as myself, think of myself as being in like a niche, mm-hmm. right? Because I find myself like I have a bachelor's degree in science, Mm -hmm. so I know science good enough to where I can explore it at the surface level. Mm -hmm. And also I know what most people kind of know, like the general public knows, like because I don't have such a deep degree, like a specialized degree that I've lost my bearings Mm -hmm. as to what the general population can understand. So I can still communicate science effectively with just this bachelor's degree. Now, you're right, though, in terms of like expertise on the latest knowledge i will absolutely not have that and what i ultimately want to do is collaborate with those folks because i am not gonna i'm not gonna become one of those people you know not not i I can't become an expert in all the science that i want to tell the public about so i think the i guess the the most efficient way to do that is to you know build these connections 
Uh, and I'm, I'm kind of like a nerd whisperer, man. I'm kind of like an introvert whisperer in a lot of ways. Like, uh, I tend to have a pretty good connection with these, uh, I guess, these more uh, laboratory types, you know, like the nerdy types that mm-hmm. that don't really um, that, that are antisocial. I, t- I tend to connect with them pretty well. So I've already started forming those relationships and hopefully, you know, collaborations between the folks with PhDs will keep me as accurate and as as modern as possible. I think that is the most phenomenal way to go. Like being an intermediary of sorts where you have enough. Yeah. You Mm -hmm. have enough knowledge to kind of, to help curate, curate, curate. Yes. Curate. I mean, of (laughs) course, some stuff you can, you can, you can go on yourself, the basic, but the stuff that you want, you can curate it in a fashion where you can make that guy, this PhD really doesn't talk. You can make, his research, his studies, his stuff relevant because you just you speak that language and you put him in in the the the, the space to shine. Kind of like with this podcast, I knew at the end of the day, my brand alone, being that I'm not a celebrity, I don't live in Hollywood. I don't. I, I, I'm funny, but I'm not a comedian of any sort. So I'm not mm-hmm. doing like making videos that go viral and whatnot. I said one thing that can help enlarge the podcast and just enlarge the conversation is to bring people that in their spaces are way, 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 way deeper than me and me just be an intermediary to those conversations. That's it. Like, yeah, I think it's brilliant too. It's brilliant. It's worked very well for you, brother. <laughs> yeah, well, hopefully we can just keep the wave, man. Because you, as you know, even though there's a lot of bad content in and out, man, there's a lot of people creating some great content. And I, but luckily, I'm of the approach, and I just got into this uh, this this maturity uh, uh, bandwagon, not bandwagon, but it's wagon. So I wasn't always there, but an approach where as long as it's good quality content. Then I think there it should be more of it, man. I, I I embrace other people that that are doing similar things in the spaces because you can never, I, I believe, especially for our culture, you can never have enough great content. Right. No, and I agree, man. And and even something I heard another way that I've heard that put, it's, it's pretty similar. Um, but like so, like I've even talked to people. And they've been like, yeah, you know, there's like so many science channels on the Internet right now. Like you're like the smallest one I know. I'm like, yeah, that's true. But that means there's a market for it. So there's a population that wants to see it. So, I mean, you know, I just got to reach that population. It's just a matter of that. No, that, that, that's it. And, that, and I, I definitely think you're well in the way. And I'm glad I got you on the come up while you still, you still respond to emails. You still, you still know cats. That's why I always tell people, people laugh. I'm like, I'm just glad. I'm just glad I know y'all, man. You, you doing Smithsonian stuff. You in the university, man. I'm just glad I'm in the, in your presence in, in the space, man. <laughs> uh, likewise, man. Likewise. <laughs> uh, we, I'm, I'm cool. I'm, hey, I'm just want to put out quality content, man. So, uh, our, our last two questions before we go into the culture change rapid fire round is, when it's all said and done, and I hate to get this, this somber real quick, man. But when it's all said and done, how do you want you? How do you want to be remembered, and and what would you want your legacy to be? I want to be remembered. Hmm. Dang. Let me not get impulsive. Hold on. Let me. Let me. Yeah, yeah, you <laughs> let think me, about let it. Let me let this thing <laughs> in for a second. Hold up. <laughs> hold up. Hold up. <laughs> dang. Ah. Uh. Hmm. So. I'd want to be remembered as someone who who destroys the status quo. Destroyed it. Like I mean, I think that like like I said before that that one quote about how the universe bends to the will of the human mind. Like I feel like there's so many ways that I can take uh, some of the things that I'm doing now. Uh, that you know, like African American male, 
uh, from an HBCU that grew up on the South side of Chicago shouldn't like be able to do according to society. Uh, but I definitely want to do some things that are different, that are, <clears throat> excuse me, that, that are different, that are effective. And uh, I want to be remembered for someone that, that never accepted what was the norm, you know? Nah, I love that. I love that, man. I love that. So, yo, we about to jump into the rapid fire round, man. I asked a series of rapid fire questions. You give me rapid fire answers and we good to go. You ready, man? Let's go. All right. What's the best piece of advice that you have never received? Dang. Uh, <laughs> vision without execution is hallucination. Ooh, say that again. Ooh, that's, that's vision, deep. Vision without execution is hallucination. Oh, God. Ooh. Man, I'm 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 a cold true, but I got I, that's gonna have to go in one of my speaking presentations. That's just like that's, <laughs> yeah, man. Hey, I got you, hey, I got you. Fascinated. That, wow, yeah. that's I like that. And you probably can paint this real real cool size visual with that, man. I like that. Love that. Um if you could add one habit and take away one habit, what would it be? If I could add one habit, it would be going like eating vegetarian. If I could take away one habit. It would be eating anything that has artificial sugar in it. Mm. I like that. What is your favorite book and why? Favorite book right now is, dang, that's a tie between the four hour work week and the 48 laws of power. Mm. How do you feel about the 48 laws of power? Just, just my ask. How do you, I mean, so it, I appreciate it for what it is because it gives me, and it's not necessarily like a, like a Bible for me or something that I follow, like, you know, to the, to the T, but it gives, it gives you a perspective on the world around you, you know, like the, I mean, I mean, for the, I guess for the listeners to, to give you more about the premise of the book, it's an amoral book. It's written independently of morals. And it basically says, if you want power, these are the 48 laws you follow to get it. And it gives you insight into all kinds of situations like corporate America, the political scene, and how other people in power's minds are working to the achieve to achieve the ends that they're achieving. Yeah, nah, that's that's and that's one thing. I, I didn't I don't think I read that caveat in the book first because I used to really be kind of adverse to it because I'm like, man, this is some this is some deep like golly, do I gotta be this type of person? But uh, from that lens of the, yo, this is this is the power book. It's not telling you to do it. This is not like a principle. This is just it is what it is, and now it gives you like like uh what's that what's that movie what's that what's that show on Netflix? The one that's really uh the the it's not it's not on there anymore. It's not uh relevant as much anymore but it had it was about uh politics in in dc mm, uh house of cards house of cards yeah about how people move in these spaces it's yeah. like mm-hmm. what um yeah. <clears throat> next last two questions from the round and then we got our culture change one uh what is your biggest fear biggest fear is to be uncomfortable mm. i rock with it i rock with it and then if you had a present didn't if you were the president of the United States, what is the first thing you would do? <laughs> Dang, that's actually really, really tough. I would put more money into education, though. Throw, it. but not like ah, but that's like really shallow, though. Like I want to put more money into certain educational programs. Mm. This joint ain't no joke, man. Because I'll be like trying to go further, but <laughs> yeah, it, it, bro, I. T- <laughs> 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 what you gonna do? I will put more money in educating the program. What? 
<laughs> I like it. I mean, hey, I, 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 that's but why though? Like, what in what spaces? Because that's one thing I have. This is off the top, but in what spaces? Because I've realized working in the educational system, we say that, but when you have some of these policymakers that really don't know where to put it, and then you put it in places where the spin is inefficient, it's kind of like where do you go? Mm-hmm. So it's it's that is that really solving the, the problem or? Yeah. It's like it's yeah. It's like throwing money at those like uh, like feed the feed the poor organizations, and you don't really know exactly where it's going, right? I would say there would be more to, geared towards, I guess, future oriented educational stuff. So that's like artificial intelligence training people on things that at least like like putting people in this kind of flexible training environment where you know because like i mean right now you go in as a freshman in college you learn something about technology and it's obsolete by the time you graduate Mm -hmm. and you know we have to be making programs that are cognizant of those changes that are even more focused on immersion like virtual reality simulations things like that that's what i want to throw money into that's what i want that's how i want our children to learn It's, it's more efficient and and even from a from a you know a biological perspective the human brain learns better in immersion, you know, when we're doing something, when we're put in a situation. So, you know, if you can give people educational tools that you're not talking at them, you're not lecturing at them, but you're immersing them in this VR simulation, like the magic school bus. Like, you remember that cartoon, man? man what? Get on the magic school bus. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Could you imagine a science class that was like that every day? Like, Bro, you I'll be a doctor. That's what I'm saying. Like, who, wasn't, who wouldn't want to learn about science if they were taught science in that way? And, you know, so these are things I think about, you know, when I'm also thinking about the long term future of Fascinate and what I want it to become. So ah, phenomenal, man. That's a great, great way to crush that, man. And I know I call myself the culture change agent. Matter of fact, for all my listeners out there, we got some culture change agent gear coming out in the summer. So make sure you uh, you stay hip to the culture. But. I call myself the culture change agent and every person that I have on this show is culture change agent in their own right in their own lane. So this question is for that. If you could change one thing about society, most specifically our African-American culture, what would it be and why? I would want nerdy to equal sexy because nerdy is, I mean, and like, like just taking a studious attitude and, you know, like the, like, I guess that not the traditional perspective of nerds, but like that, that, that even like probably like in a way, like you're probably a nerd in a way too. <laughs> yeah. Like you, you're, you're study, you're studious about your craft, you know? And, and like for people to be studious about their craft, to be nerds or geeks about their craft in their own way, I would want that to always be sexy, you know? Uh, and I would change that. I, I would change that because I think, <clears throat> excuse me, I would change that because I think it is, like one of the most lucrative things around right now we're moving towards this more freelance craft-based work environment and we're moving away from this traditional corporate model Mm -hmm. i mean ai is taking over pretty much all of these corporate jobs faster and faster than than we believed it was going to happen so you know if if people had this skill and it was perceived as attractive by society that'll make more people want to have the skill especially in the black community where you know i think not enough of us uh have that desire to you know, work on our craft, but that's shifting. I think that paradigm is shifting a lot. You know, a lot of us are, are at least in the HBCU scene, I've seen, are, are trying to get on this entrepreneurial and craft-based wave. Yeah, nah, and I just, and hopefully by the end of life, in life, I, I love the term entrepreneur, but I never want to, not to get too deep, but I just don't ever want to 
coin myself as just an entrepreneur. I mean, I just it's just life in the end of the day. Entrepreneur mm-hmm. make it sound deeper than what it is. Like it's just, <laughs> yeah. it's just like, oh, I'm a, what do you do? I'm an entrepreneur. It's like, okay, what the oh. f- okay you live, you and know? It, yeah. <laughs> and it's so and everybody uses that nowadays. Yeah. That's why I, I don't put that I don't put that nowhere, man. Because I see everybody's an entrepreneur. Yeah, oh, you sell weave. Oh, you do hair. Uh, yeah, I mean, not that that's not respectable, but you know. Yeah, because I know there's some there's some hair casting making some bread, but it's like it's just different. There's different things. I think at the end of the day, I just want to be known as a creator, man. Somebody to use God's gift, uh, God's gift in whatever manner see fit, because it's it's all vanity. But that's neither here nor there. That's a whole other day. So, man, hey, it's been a phenomenal. Phenomenal hour and twenty minutes of time, man. I appreciate uh, you. Hour and twenty minutes. Yeah, it went by man. fast, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that flew, bro. It definitely flew, man. And I, I appreciate your insight. I appreciate your honesty and your vulnerability, man. So, where can our audience find more information about you? Keep in contact with Fascinate Side. What you got going on in the speaking room? Where can we find you at online? Sure. So, I would say the first thing I want to direct you guys to is my YouTube page. All you have to do. Let's go to YouTube and type the word fascinate. I'm the first thing that comes up. That's F-A-S-C-I-N-A-T-E. I'm the very first thing at the, uh, at the top of the search on YouTube. And uh, my Instagram and all my other social media is at grind, earn, repeat. That's at G-R-I-N-D-E-A-R-N-R-E-P-E-A-T. Mm, love it, love it, love it, love it, love it, man. So from the bottom of my heart, from Minority Trailblazing Nation's heart, man, we got to say thank you for your time, bro. Thank you, man. I, I really, really appreciate this opportunity, man. And you're doing some awesome work, man. Keep it up. Nah, Please. I, nah, you already know, and I appreciate it. I'm just glad that, that we are allowed to, 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 to put this on a platform that for years and months and decades, hopefully, this is just it will always be up and accessible, man, because this is also going to be a good milestone for yourself. You can be looking four years. Like, I remember I was talking on that podcast. I was saying some crazy stuff or I, I said that was going to happen <laughs> and it happened, man. So I just love to have this earmark stamped in history. Hopefully we can encourage people, students and, and whoever to take it to that next level. So Minority Trailblazer Nation, thank you for rocking with us this long. It's been a phenomenal interview and I got three things for you before we end. First, make sure you leave a review. We're trying to get back into the top 200 in society and culture category on iTunes, so please make sure you leave a review. If you're listening via SoundCloud and you have iTunes or you have an iPhone, make sure you go to, go to the podcast app and download us on there, all right? <laughs> next, 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 make sure you share with a friend. If you like the episode, make sure you share it, all right? And last but certainly not least, four words for you. Change the freaking culture. Good night.